No doubt you've already stumbled upon the biographical sketches in your bulletin this morning as you've been looking at the want ads. <laughs> this is one of the probably the most important weekends in the life of our church, certainly from my perspective it is, because this is the weekend in which we bring and present to the congregation the candidates for our church council. This is the governing board of the church, and these men will oversee the life of this church uh, for the next two years. And uh, they are going to have a significant effect on our lives. So once a year, we go through this exercise of talking about leadership and looking into the scriptures and seeing what the Bible has to say about those who would be overseeing the church and the qualities that ought to mark their life. And the Bible gives us very specific uh, instruction and insight into those things. We're we're in a day of, in a, in a season of elections and campaigning and people running for office and national office, and that certainly will trickle down uh, in this next year or two. And uh, very often, uh, it's a frustrating thing to, uh, to try to get to the heart and to the core of what people stand for, what, they, uh, what their life is like, and very often our, 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 our voting in our elections uh, in, in this country tend to be basically a popularity contest and uh, uh, not so in the church. We don't, uh, we don't present people who necessarily are, are always well known, uh, but we do present people who are, have been commended to the leadership of the church and present them to the congregation based on their character. And we want men of strong character leading our church. So this morning you're going to meet these four men. I want to walk you through the qualifications for overseer that are listed in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll hear a little bit from each of those men, and then we'll take a time uh, where we'll pray, and, uh, and then I'm going to ask you to mark your ballot appropriately, but I'll talk with you more about that as we go. So if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. For some of you, this is a exercise you've been through a number of times, but it certainly bears repeating. I'm going to suggest that not only are these qualities essential for those who would lead in the church, but they ought to mark the life of every Christian. Would you agree with me? All of us should be aspiring to be men and women of godly character, if indeed God's purpose is to make us more like himself, to conform us to the very image and likeness of Jesus, uh, then we ought to be concerned with character formation, Character formation, and, and there are some areas in which some of us will have some struggles and battles. But nonetheless, we want to move in the direction of these kinds of qualities and characteristics. So if you'll just read with me the first seven verses of First Timothy chapter 3, there's a companion passage in Titus. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are known as the pastoral epistles. And very simply, they're written by the Apostle Paul to two pastors, Timothy and Titus, about how to have church. And uh, so he gives them instructions about being pastors and how to conduct their churches. So in Titus, it's chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. That's a companion passage. But we're going to focus on 1 Timothy here. So Paul would write, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. In other words, spiritual ambition is a good thing. It is a noble thing to be ambitious 
spiritually. That doesn't have anything to do with pride. That doesn't have anything to do with being arrogant. But to be ambitious for the kingdom of God and to see God's kingdom and his church grow and mature and to be part of that process in terms of leading is a noble thing to do. And he says, now, with respect to those who would be overseers, he said uh, they must, first of all, be above reproach. And that's an overarching term, and it will encompass everything else that he will include in the next uh, six verses. He must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given too much wine, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Then this parenthetical statement, uh, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Pride comes before the fall, you recall. He says he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So let me just talk you through these a little bit. Again, this idea of being above reproach. uh, Titus uses the word blameless. Perfect? No. But the characteristic pattern of a person's life ought to be in line with biblical standards and biblical principles. What's the general theme of this person's life? Uh, Do we see a godly tendency in order and structure uh, in keeping with God's word in their life? Um, And again, this is an overarching summary statement that will be inclusive of the rest of the list. There should be no verifiable unresolved charges of wrongdoing that can be brought against this person. And that's what I want to talk to you about with respect to the ballot in a few moments, what we're looking for in terms of a yes or no vote. So we don't want to, we don't want to be able to uh, say that any of these men have uh, any kind of charge of wrongdoing that can be brought against their life. And this would include, by the way, verse 7, having a good reputation with outsiders, Uh, Timothy very simply says uh, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. The devil would like nothing more than to cause the leaders of the church to bring disgrace upon the church and uh, and then hence become a stumbling block and a hindrance to the uh, cause of Christ. So he should also have a good reputation with people outside the church. Satan would love to ruin the witness of the church to the discrediting of its leaders. Secondly, this person must be the husband of one wife. The idea is that he is a one-woman kind of man. And out of this original culture, remember a lot of these early Christians came out of the pagan culture and where polygamy was practiced very often. Uh, but this, the idea is he's a one-woman kind of man and he's not flirtatious, uh, not a womanizer, if you will. Uh, but he just has eyes for his wife. Uh, In the world where even the highest places we see are deluged with immorality, the Christian church must demonstrate the purity, the stability, and the sanctity of the Christian home. The Christian home is the fundamental unit of society and our culture. And if in the Christian home the husband is not devoted to his wife and leading his home in a godly manner, 
then he cannot certainly lead the church and there is no testimony to the world that we are different and that there is hope. Thirdly, he must lead a, a temperate life. Temperate meaning balanced in his living and not prone to extremes, uh, especially spiritually in, in terms of being fanatical about something on one, one end uh, or uh, legalistic on another end. He's a, he leads a temperate, balanced life. Doesn't lose his personal, his physical or spiritual orientation. Remains stable, remains steadfast, clear in his thinking. This is a temperate person. And as a corollary to that, self-controlled. Able, certainly, to exhibit a disciplined life. And a disciplined life will want to be a life that will grow in Christ-likeness. He'd be in control of his passions and his appetites. Now, this is not merely the result of self-effort. Self-control, recall, is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so, as this person is is walking after the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be evidenced in his life, and one aspect of that is self-control. So very simply, a self-controlled person is one who has his life in order and will live for God, not for himself. That's a key understanding. Respectable would be the next quality. Respectable, very simply, from the Greek means a well-ordered or orderly well-arranged life. Simply means he just conducts his life in a manner that uh, will earn the respect of those around him, whether, whether believers or non-believers. And we all know people who live well-ordered lives. They, they seem to have it together. And, and that may be a source of some consternation to people. How can you live your life? You have so much going on, you always seem to have it together. You find yourself respecting those people. They, they elicit your respect. They're not running from crisis to crisis because of their own personal disorganization. They're also hospitable. The word hospitable from the Greek literally means loving strangers. They have an openness and a graciousness and a friendliness to newcomers. And that ought to be a hallmark of the church on a broad scale, shouldn't it? A willingness to help those who are in need. They're hospitable people. Able to teach. Doesn't mean that they have to have a special gift of teaching, but they have the ability to communicate truth in a manner so that, that truth is received. But that also means that not only can they communicate it, but they can also receive it. In other words, they can be taught. They're teachable people as well as people who can teach. Not given to much wine um, refers to the very simply to the habit of over-drinking, or more literally in terms of, of, our, of our culture uh, being uh, given to drugs and drug addictions and um, habituations and so forth. Uh, so they don't find themselves drunk or high or loaded, if you will. But again, it goes back to these other dynamics of living a, a self-disciplined, uh, well-ordered, temperate kind of lifestyle. Um, a drunk is a disgrace in ordinary society, uh, let above the church. We don't certainly want to see drunks in the church council meeting. <laughs> now, you know, notice, notice, notice what it says, not given to much wine. Doesn't, 
There's no prohibition. You can't, it's not like you can't have a glass of wine with dinner if that's what you're accustomed to, if your family's grown up that way and so forth, or maybe throw down a cold one every now and again. But uh, <laughs> but the point is, is you don't get drunk. Okay? It doesn't control your life. You'd be full of the Holy Spirit, not full of spirits. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. Not violent, but gentle. This is a very, very important, literally, the word literally, violent, comes from a Greek word we could translate striker. In other words, we don't want fights in the church council meeting. One who would strike out either verbally or physically. Not a violent person, but a gentle person. Someone who doesn't have a chip on their shoulder. But one who is gracious, one who is kind, one who is forbearing, considerate and generous, generous in their spirit, in their attitude towards others. Not quarrelsome. Another, these are all kind of interrelated and they're very close connected, but they deal with so many separate kinds of things. A quarrelsome person, one who's argumentative, one who's given to controversies or disputings or rivalries or who is stubborn in the face of uh, uh, reasonable objections. That, that, that has no place in the leadership of the church. So we want someone who is not given to those things. Someone who can determine between a core issue and a peripheral issue. You know how sometimes people will stake their life and fight and die on an issue that's, that's not that important? I call those peripheral issues. And if you're going to stake out your claim, and if you're going to fight and die over an issue, make sure it's a central core issue, not some peripheral issue. I mean, I'm going to fight and die over the deity of Christ. I'm not going to fight and die over the doctrine of tongues, okay, or some other, what I consider, a peripheral doctrine. The deity of Christ or salvation by grace through faith. Those are core doctrines that I'll stake my life on. And so these are the kinds of things that, that we want to be able to discern, and you want the leaders and overseers of the church to be able to discern between these things. Um, this person should be... a uh, a tendency towards being peaceable and not necessarily inclined to fight. So, And then, uh, not a lover of money. This is an important one. Uh, his life should not be centered on the accumulation of worldly wealth. And we all know that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so a person whose life is centered on the accumulation of wealth, this is what they live for, uh, they're going to have a hard way to go. And uh, their motivations for serving will not always be the best. So that's why he gives us this qualification. We want people who place a greater priority on laying up treasure in heaven than laying up treasure on earth. No one should be able to accuse a leader in the church of using his position for personal financial gain. And that's been a problem in the church for a long time, in, 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 the, in the church at large, especially in the Western church. We've seen leaders down through the years accused of financial improprieties where uh, people have used their position uh, strictly for financial gain. Um, this person should not use unethical or questionable tactics to make money. They should give more attention to people than to things. And if, in fact, they may be wealthy, Paul gives instruction in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy that they should be rich in good deeds generous and willing to share. 
And uh, he also, if he's going to oversee the church, then Paul says he must be able to manage his own household. He says, how can, a, how can a, a, a man oversee the church, how can he manage the affairs of God if he's not faithful in managing his own household affairs? He's got to be a steward over that which is entrusted to him more closely uh, before he can steward that which is broader. And in conjunction with that, his children uh, should be obedient and respectful. No father is perfect, certainly. Uh, but the behavior of his children should reflect his instruction and his leadership in the home. And Steve touted this strongly yesterday uh, in our For Men Only. It was a tremendous, tremendous uh, talk. And no one should be able to accuse the children of this godly man of being wild and insubordinate. That doesn't mean they can't run around in the church. That doesn't mean they can't jump off the platform, as is a tradition for generations of kids. <laughs> I say that because my son has done it. But uh, I want, uh, don't you think that, the, that at least the facility in which the church meets, that the kids ought to have a, a sense of its, its home? They can, they can enjoy uh, themselves here rather than be stiff and such. And Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 6, ch- says children should be believers, which again reflects the father's input, leadership, instruction, and example in the lives of their children. And then we're told that uh, an overseer cannot, should not be a recent convert. A new believer, very simply, uh, has not yet developed a good reputation as a Christian. <coughs> Titus chapter 1, verse 9 says they're really ignorant of biblical principles and they're ignorant of the scriptures. They haven't had a, a firm grounding in sound doctrine. And as a result, they are neophytes. The Greek word neophotos means basically a, a novice. And more literally, it means to wrap up in smoke. And the idea is uh, the smoke of conceit. And we all know, we've heard of people who are famous personalities who come to, come to know the Lord and, and uh, they're on a public stage and they're pushed forward to represent the church and, and uh, we end up setting them up for failure. And so they should not be a new convert because it will lead to pride, no doubt, and pride comes before the fall. Judgment. And then lastly, they, again, should have a good reputation with outsiders, and that people outside the church speak well of these people. Now, just as, a, as we've just given an overview of these qualities, I want to call your attention to, no doubt you've already had a chance to look over the uh, list of the four men who were presented with you in these little short biographical sketches that we presented. I want you to meet them, and I've asked them to each share just a couple of minutes with you, a little bit about who they are, where they've come from, and something of their um, experience in terms of serving in the church.